reading is from John chapter 5, uh, verses 16 to 30. And this is on page 1068. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good, what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Sarah, thank you so much for reading. Um, just get everything ready here. There we go. Yeah, thank you so much for reading. If, um, if we haven't met before, my name's Merv. Um, I'm the assistant minister here at St Anne's. Um, good morning and welcome again. Um, do keep your Bibles open, we're on page 1068. Well, this morning I'd love to begin with a question. And the question is this, should Jesus be cancelled? Should Jesus be cancelled? That's a provocative question, isn't it? And one that's increasingly on the agenda. At Easter earlier on this year, um, a friend of mine posted on Facebook, Jesus died so that you could live. And the next time she checked her Facebook post, to her shock, she was met with the following. 
Your post goes against our community standards on hate speech. We have removed your post from Facebook. Here, Jesus was being cancelled on Facebook. Similarly, and perhaps this might be an even bigger shock to some of you, but a few years ago, our very own Marks and Spencers banned customers from using the words Jesus Christ in card messages when ordering flowers online. Here, Jesus Christ was being cancelled on the high street. And I'm sad to say, Jesus is also being cancelled in schools. About five years ago, uh, the Department for Education um, in Queensland, Australia, conducted a review into public school practices and decided to move, to, um, move forwards into banning Christian references in schools. They even moved towards banning the word Jesus from playgrounds. And if that wasn't shocking enough, well, the atheist author Richard Dawkins has described a religious upbringing as a form of child abuse. Just think of that. When I teach my children how to pray to Jesus, I'm not just misguided, I'm abusive. Cancelled on Facebook, cancelled on the high street, cancelled in schools. Should Jesus be cancelled? Well, we don't have to speculate this morning, that's the amazing thing, because that is exactly what's being addressed in our passage this morning. And it seems as though Jesus being cancelled was as big a deal 2,000 years ago as it is today. Because in our passage this morning, Jesus is on trial. Delegates have been sent from the national headquarters in Jerusalem, and Jesus is being called to the stand. He's been called to defend himself in the biggest trial of his day. And he's in quite a lot of trouble with the uh, religious, the, the Jewish leaders at the time. Two things in particular. The first thing Jesus did was to heal a man on the Sabbath, which you hear about right at the start of our, um, our passage. That's page 1068, if you're following along. John chapter 5, verse 16. Let me read from verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Jesus healed a man that was paralyzed for, for 38 years. But because it was on the, on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders were upset by this. So that was the first thing. And the second thing that caused him trouble was his response. When they asked Jesus about it, Jesus answered that he was doing God's work. And you see that in verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work, at his work, to this very day, and I too am working. For this very reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Are two, two charges here, and the prosecution team, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, want him cancelled or worse, dead. We're in the courtroom, and this is Jesus' defence. Should Jesus be cancelled? We've got three things to learn about Jesus as he defends himself. 
And these three things are on your, on your handout this morning. And the first is this. Jesus is the son who brings life. Jesus is the son who brings life. Read along with me from verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Remember one of the charges. Jesus is calling God his own father. Jesus defends himself by talking about the close relationship he has with his father. And he does that four times in three verses. Father and son, father and son, father and son, father and son. And one way uh, we might imagine John chapter 5 is like an episode of the former ITV chat show, Jeremy Kyle. I don't know whether you know what I mean. Um, some of you do, I'm, I'm sure. It's one of those contested paternity cases. Here you have a father and um, you've got a group who've grown up knowing him as their father. They're his children. And then he disappears on some sort of business trip. And then suddenly, someone down the road starts saying, no, I'm the real son. That's my father. Look, I've even got photos of him all around the house. I dress like him. I'm his son. And of course, of course, if you were in a situation like that, you do what all right-thinking people do and settle it with a sealed envelope, DNA test, live on TV. Actually, I've got the envelope here. Um, it's the live DNA test for Jesus. Um, let's see what it says. I'm doing a live opening here. Let's see what it says. It says, let me read it out for you. Son, Jesus Christ, alleged father, the, the God of Israel, and then possibility of paternity, 100%. I don't think I've ever seen that on a DNA test. Jesus is the son of God, but it says it as clear as day. You see, John wants to leave us in no doubt whatsoever that Jesus is the son. Jesus defends himself against the first charge by revealing his close relationship with his father. And now he moves on to the second charge because he's not just the son, he's the son who brings life. And he does that exactly, uniquely and sufficiently. So he does that exactly, verse 19, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. So Jesus never goes off piste um, in, in his work of bringing life. He never goes off script from what the father has said he should do. He sticks exactly to what God has told him he must do. The son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he can see the father doing. He does it exactly. He does it uniquely, verse 20. 
For the, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. So Jesus can do this work because the Father's shown him what to do. And the reason the Father's shown him what to do is because the Father loves the Son. Because the Son stands in unique relationship to his Father as the beloved one whom he, he has sent. No one else has that relationship with, to God but Jesus. And so he, he uniquely can do the work of bringing life. And he does this exactly. He does it uniquely and he does it sufficiently. As I say, there's nothing left out of Jesus' work because whatever the Father does, the Son also does, says Jesus in verse 19. There's no memo from the Father which Jesus hasn't been copied into. You, can, you, can, you can't even fit a, a width of a Rizla between Jesus and his Father. Now, everything that the Father does, the Son also does, he says. He does God's work exactly, uniquely, and sufficiently. He reveals God perfectly. That certainly answers the Jewish leader's charge, doesn't it? He's not setting himself as a rival to God. Jesus is doing God's work of bringing life. When Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath, he's giving us a window into the future, a world where there's no more destruction, no more disease, no more death, where life, the best life, is restored. Jesus brings life. Now, you might think that you've lived a terrible life, you might think that you've lived an incredible life. But the life that Jesus brings is wholeheartedly the best life. No more pain, no more suffering. And living with the one who created us, who knows every single thing about us and still loves us. And it's forever. Jesus is everything you need to have eternal life. Jesus is the Son who brings life. But that's not it. Because remember, Jesus is on trial here. And as his belongings were taken into custody, here's what was found. It's one of these interesting looking cloaks here. So let, let's see what else was found. It's also one of these odd-looking wigs. This might be a bit of poetic license, by the way, just to let you know. And also one of these peculiar-looking hammers there. Point one, Jesus is the son who brings life. Point two, Jesus is the son who gives judgment. Read with me from verse 19 of chapter 5. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raised the dead and gives them life, even so, the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, 
The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Jesus is the judge. In fact, to say Jesus is the judge is actually to skip um, a stage in the argument, because the starting assumption, both for Jesus and the ones he's arguing with, is that God is the judge. God is a judge in the sense that he created the world and everyone in it. So he decides who and what we're for. He's the one who brings justice. God is the judge and judgment is one of his, one of God's skill moves. God is the judge. But the Lord Jesus and his opponent, opponents both agree on this. The question is how will God judge? Well, the Lord Jesus says, all judgment has been entrusted to him. Verse, read me from verse 21 again. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Father gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one but has trust, entrusted all judgment to the Son. You see, when Jesus says that the Father judges no one, He's not denying that God, God is the judge, nor is he suggesting that God is hands off in any way. No, his point is in verse, his point is in the second half of verse 22. The father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. The judgment has been entrusted to Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the judge. And in case you missed the point, Jesus doubles down in verse 25. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and, and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given authority, him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Now, the Old Testament pictures a great day of judgment, a day where all humanity will be raised from the dead to stand before the living God, to be weighed, to be judged, to be punished, and to be rewarded. And Jesus is saying, that's right. When that day comes, the one who will summon them out of their tombs and then have authority to judge, that is me. In fact, more than that, he's saying that that day has already come because the judge has come early. And so as you meet the Lord Jesus, your eternal destiny is in the balance. Jesus is the judge. It's a staggering claim, isn't it? Just think of the Jewish leaders who are angry with Jesus for healing on the Sabbath and for claiming equality with God. What must be going through their minds? They're standing before a man who they think is a troublemaker, a religious maverick, one who performs huge miracles and causes chaos in the temple and, and heals on the Sabbath. But the man they're dealing with is none other than the judge of all the earth. He sits right now on the throne of heaven. It's a staggering claim, isn't it? But it's true. Jesus really is the judge. But that is actually enormously 
liberating, isn't it? When you think of all the political, educational, and even religious establishments that get stuff wrong all the time. When you think about Twitter, when you think about the media, when you think about the things that we do wrong in the past, 10 years ago, things we do stuff in the future, that we do wrong in the future, the fact that we'll be hauled over the coals in judgment. So isn't this liberating that Jesus, fair Jesus, merciful Jesus, is the judge? Jesus is the life giver and the judge, you see, forgiving you and forgiving me. But you might be asking yourself, how does the Lord Jesus give life and judge? And so thirdly and finally, Jesus' words give life and judge. Jesus' words give life and judge. Read me from verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. It's a moment of life and judgment, a moment where you pass from death to life. It's a moment that you can ensure you don't get judgment, but you get life instead. And the key is how you respond to the words of Jesus. Verse 24, there, there we are. The same claim takes centre stage, actually, in verse 25. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Again, bringing life and giving job, judgments. But how? Well, as you hear the voice of the Son of God. It's an extraordinary picture, isn't it? A voice, words, with such authority that he commands the very corpses and they do what he says. When you come into contact with his words, it brings you life and it gives you judgment. Of course, Jesus has just spoken words with the power to heal a dead man, a, a, a man who's who'd been lame for, for 38 years. Get up, Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. And in a few chapters time, Jesus will, will speak words that literally have the power and authority to summon the dead out of their tombs. Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus obeys. Jesus' words have the power to bring life and to judge. What if that's really the case? Well, how can I get my hands on them? Well, Jesus gives us his words through this book that you've got, all got in front of you. It's, it's extraordinary, isn't it? It's extraordinary that we have, have them in the palms of our hands. It's an extraordinary gift. I wonder what it would look like if I was to put this bag out on the table here and say, look, you know what, in this bag, there's a million pounds in there. I wonder what you'd do. I wonder what some of you might think, oh, that's, that's not true. Some of you might go and have a look at it. Should we have a look? Here we are. It's, one, it's a Bible. You've all got it right in front of you. 
it's actually something that's worth way more. Speaking to Derek actually just before, and he was saying that it's the be best value in this church, and I 100% agree. It's extraordinary, isn't it, that the answers to humanity's biggest problems lie in this book. We take it for granted, don't we, that it's right here in our hands. My friends, if this is the first time you've heard Jesus' life-giving words, well, I want to encourage you to, to keep on listening. I'd love to give you one of these books, actually. Um, it's a guided tour of uh, the first chapter of John's Gospel. It's called The Word One-to-One, -one, and there's a really cool app. There's a QR code on your uh, handouts as well, on your service sheet, um, which you can look at at the end. Do come and find me. I'll be standing at the exit at the end there. Do come and grab me if you'd like one of these books, or you'd like me to help you set up with this app. What about if it's the millionth time you've heard Jesus' life-giving words? You're a St Anne's veteran. You've heard it all before. Well, I want to say the same applies. Every time, and I mean every single time, that you come to church to listen to God speak, you are encountering Jesus' life-giving words. The words that judge. Every time that you open up the Bible, or when you listen to an audio Bible, or when you listen to the Bible reading at church, or anywhere else, you are encountering Jesus giving life and judging. So my friends, I wonder whether that changes our posture as we come to church, whether it changes our desires as we come to church, whether or not it makes us more willing to listen to Jesus, the judge as he speaks, whether it makes us more willing to encourage others to listen as he speaks. Jesus is the life giver and judge, and Jesus' words give life and they judge. Well, as we finish, let's return to the place where we started. Now, Jesus has been hauled into the dock by these Jewish leaders, and he's faced two charges, healing on the Sabbath and calling himself God's son. Should Jesus be cancelled? Of course not. It's a stupid question, really, isn't it? We've seen how Jesus' defence is immaculate. He's innocent. Jesus proved that he's the son who brings life, and he's the son who gives judgments. He can't be in the dock any longer. But of course, if Jesus is no longer in the dock, well, then who is? We'll have to wait until next week to find that out. Let me lead us in a short prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. Um, Father, we pray that we would uh, be those that um, are humble and contrite. And we listen to your words really carefully. Thank you so much that the Lord Jesus uh, brings life and he gives judgment. And Father, we pray that whoever we are, we might be listening more intently to what he has to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.